Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Today, we have a fantastic show for you as we're welcoming Vina Jetty, the founder of Vive Funds, a commercial real estate firm specializing in multifamily real estate. And if you're wondering how AI and real estate are connected, you haven't been in the market for a home in a while because technology disruption has been on fire for the past several years within real estate, and as someone who has experienced buying, selling, and even renting in this market over the past year, I would say it's absolutely insane. So after reading an article about how AI was impacting multifamily real estate in a, in a Forbes article by Vina, I knew I had to have her on the podcast because AI's impact on this market clearly doesn't suck. So it's going to be fun, and I think it's going to be eye-opening not only for myself and for Bill here, it's going to be eye-opening for all you listeners tuning in. So let me tell you a little bit about Vina, and then I'll turn it over to her, and, and she can really tell you about Vina. What I know about Vina is she's got a passion for real estate. She graduated from the University of Illinois in Chicago with a degree in finance. She's gone on to be part of several real estate startups, so she's an entrepreneur. She's also a renowned philanthropist and on the board of, of national nonprofits. And in 2017, Vina won the Politico Woman of the Year Award for her aid during Hurricane Harvey. Uh, and that hits home with us. Vina, well done. We're from Texas. We get it. In addition to focusing on her own business, she gives back to other small businesses by arranging what's called microloan financing. She's a founding partner of Vive Funds. And Vive, by the way, she just told me, is pronounced Vive. She named the company after her two children. So I pronounced it correctly. And, and uh, the, a couple other podcasts I heard her on did not. So kudos to us, Bill. We're already yes. starting off well. She's been a guest on podcasts, radio shows, a contributing author to countless articles in the industry, and a guest speaker at conferences. So, Vina, you sound like you're really busy. Uh, why don't we start off by, first of all, just saying thanks for joining Bill and I here on the podcast. This is absolutely not going to suck. And why don't you share a little bit more about yourself, the, some of the things that I didn't touch on here for our listeners before we kick off into some questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here because I'm kind of like a nerd when it comes to tech stuff. And so this is something I really have a secret passion for discussing. As far as my background goes, I think you hit pretty much on everything, all the highlights at least. We are large multifamily owner operators. I'm based out of Dallas, Texas, and we own primarily in Texas, Florida with a heavy acquisition target currently in Georgia and the Carolinas. And we look at assets that are typically around 200 units and up is our sweet spot these days. We look for what's called class B, which is, um, you know, not high end class A, not, you know, lower income class C or workforce housing in class C. So it's somewhere right in the middle. And this is absolutely an exciting time in the real estate market right now, as probably everybody listening to this knows. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. 
It is craziness out there right now in the market. So we're making the assumption that people like you, uh, since I know how much these things cost, are making absolute gobs of money right now. The fact <laughs> that you could stop counting all your money to join us right now is amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, I was just swimming in the Scrooge McDuck room, but I just left for a little bit to join you guys. Well, we're quite interested in application of AI in uh, the real estate arena. You've written an excellent article in Forbes, and you outline uh, like five areas where there's potential application. One of the things that we've noticed in talking to business leaders is that there's a lot of AI project failures. And uh, uh, they have a proof of concept, and then it won't scale up. So I think a key to success is to produce some quick wins. You know, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one small step. Considering the, the five categories that you mentioned in your article, you know, which of those areas might be the most fruitful where there's some low-hanging fruit and where an aspiring AI development firm might create a quick win? Oh, gosh, that is a good question. So fundamentally, from the perspective of what we do in the multifamily space, I think that AI is best utilized and I get the best bang for my buck in terms of underwriting assumptions. And so what I mean by that is when you're looking at millions of data points, so when you have these very large operations that are very well run, like Starwood, for example, that owns hundreds of thousands of units across the country, they're trying to aggregate so much data. And we all know that that data might not exactly fit into a specific box, right? So where some one person might call it multifamily, another person might call it an apartment. And that there can be disconnect when it's AI, right? And so I think that's where maybe like semantic technology can kind of come into place and help bridge that. But I think for us on the operational side, and if you're not a tech person and it's intimidating for you, where you can really see a win is in utilizing companies that can aggregate that data for you and give you better metrics so that the assumptions you make on what you're underwriting and underwriting simply just means the financial plan of how you're buying the asset and how you plan to operate it. And so when I go into an asset, knowing that the unit is currently charging $1,200, but I can utilize AI to say, hey, if I put $5,000 into this unit, I can now charge an additional $200 in rent. And then I'll be able to calculate how quickly my dollars get returned back to me and what it kind of goes down this whole rabbit hole of what returns investors can then expect and how we deliver to them and where we can make pivots along the way. So having good data points and utilizing that AI to create those data points and identify those data points are really important. I know I've like kind of blabbered on about this, but I think that the fundamentals of real estate really come down to the numbers and it really comes down to the quality of the data that you're putting in. So I think AI solves a big problem in aggregating data into a way that's usable for us. So dovetailing into that, AI that you're utilizing to be able to pull this information back to you and make it useful to you, is this something that is developed specifically for your industry? Are you guys using AI tools that come from standard real estate or is someone in this space building something specific to this multifamily space? that you utilize? Where's the software coming from? Yeah, so we actually pay for access to data. So there's a couple of really large companies that aggregate all of this data together. And they have it from other verticals within their business. So they get good data. And then they're able to utilize that to predict what we will be charging two years from now, five years from now. And so they can kind of predict better into the future than we can, especially because 
you know, humans have some amount of bias as well. And so within that software platform, typically there's also an ancillary product, which utilizes AI as well, which is called LRO, which is lease rent optimization. And so what that means is we can, again, utilize those data points that we have And in real time, we can update the pricing on the asset on a daily basis. So while unit 101 today might be renting for $1,000, if I know that every other comp in the area has already leased out all of their unit 101 comparable plans, and let's say they've rented it out at $1,200, then tomorrow I know that the next tenant or prospective tenant that walks in I should be looking to charge them $1,200. Or if I'm the only asset or only unit left in the area that has a comparable plan, maybe I charge them $1,250. And so it allows us to kind of test and push the limits of maximizing our top line revenue. And so to answer your question, there are companies that aggregate this data for us because they get them from other verticals in their business. But then adding that AI component in it is what really gives us fruitful data to be able to be on like cutting edge of technology and utilizing that to boost our top line revenue. Got it. Okay. So I see how AI can play on the front end of these transactions. And in particular, as you start to put people into these investments, one of the things that we read in your Forbes article talks about how AI can potentially assist you guys on the back end as well. At least that's the way I interpreted it, where you're talking about property management. You're talking about Mm -hmm. smarter homes that that can be managed and monitored better you know, what is the, what's the benefit to you? I mean, we all use those types of AI tools in our homes. How do you use those AI products or in the future, do you see yourself utilizing those AI products? Absolutely. Yeah. And so what we were just talking about in the LRO, the lease rent optimization, that is an operational tool. So when we're looking to kind of predict our model into the future and kind of plan our business plan, if you will, that's, pre-acquisition. So that's in our acquisition model. So that's one area we use the AI. In the operational side or post-close, we'll use it from a lease rent optimization. It's a great example. And it's probably one of the most fruitful examples. Other ways are things that people are usually familiar with, right? Like Google Homes, Nest thermostats that can learn your habits, Um, being able to control your LED lights from your phone. All of those are ways that one, we can qualify for better lending terms. So we can qualify for green programs, which usually means a reduction in the interest rate, which obviously saves money. Uh, You'll notice the theme here is everything comes back to the bottom line, what we can return (laughs) to investors. Um, And then when just with things like Nest thermostats, Google Homes, uh, even smart locks on our doors, what happens is, is we can start to learn and understand the habits of our tenants a lot better. So now we know, okay, 80% of our tenants work from home. We can utilize the data that we get because we know that Nest thermostats are being used mainly during the daytime. And usually we would expect to see it at nighttime. But on these assets, we know 80% work from home. Now we can take that and implement that in creative ways outside of the AI space. So maybe now it makes sense from a strategy perspective to put work from home desks around the campus. Or maybe it makes sense to add a business center with higher speed internet that everybody can access. So there's little nuances and business plan pivots that we can make based off of the data we get from that. Also, our tenant demographics matter a lot. So when we have tenant demographics that are millennials, or I guess now zillennials or renting or Gen Z, I don't know what we call them now. Mm -hmm. Um, But they typically like to have this tech component. And we know that they're willing to pay 
a lot more to have this. So they might pay anywhere from $30 to $75 on some of our assets just to have the smart home package because they want to control everything from their cell phone. Um, so those are ways that AI helps kind of from the tenant perspective, but then also for us from a data perspective and being able to move within the confines of what we're dealing with on an asset specific investment. Thinking about exactly what you just described there, because we, you know, we're all doing that, right? We're all adjusting our phones, doing our temperature up and down when we're here, when we're not here. So when you're looking at the knowledge that you know some people are going to want to be part of this as investors because that AI exists there, when you're looking at the properties that you purchase overall for the multifamily, are you looking at newer residences that may have some of this already installed or are you retrofitting distressed assets and bringing them up to speed such that they can take advantage of this AI? Yeah. So we typically play in what's called like the B asset space. So our typical year of construction we look at is 1980s and newer. The newest one that we're going after, actually it's right now we're mid close on it is a 2002 build. So they're still old enough that they don't have a lot of this technology built in, but these are small, easy wins for us. And That's why it's even more imperative that we truly have an understanding of what the area is capable of versus where it is today. Again, that's like a big area that AI does fill in for us. I'm not familiar with multifamily real estate. I recently had an experience with residential real estates with Zillow. They have a service available. Uh, You can go on their website and fill in a form and they'll come back to you and, and give you an offer. So it's quite impressive as I looked into it. Is anything like that likely to happen in uh, your particular business with multifamily or is it just totally different? So I'm a total believer in AI. So I am one to think that every field is subject to be disrupted by AI in some way, shape or form. So I think it would go against like the very fiber of what I believe to say, no, it'll never happen in multifamily because I think eventually it will. And that's the thing about AI and just knowledge, right? It's not a linear growth. It's exponentially growing. And so what we knew 10 years ago is going to be the gap from 10 years ago to now is going to be far less than the gap from 10 years from now to now, right? I do think it will get disrupted. If I knew how, I would be a total billionaire because I would just (laughs) do it myself and call it a day. I don't know how, but I do think it will get disrupted at some point. As far as Zillow's model, it's very similar to the LRO that I talked about earlier in rental optimization. So it's very similar. All it's doing is it's aggregating the data and it's giving you an offer of what you can rent this for. Um, and something other operators might not think about or you know, investors should at least know when you're using systems like LRO, not only does it maximize your income, it also can help minimize some of your uh, legal liability or your risk, because now it's no longer a equal opportunity or fair housing violation because you're taking the human element out of the transaction from a price perspective. Um, so it can also help reduce some liability as well. I mean, I, I don't know how much, but at least some. Uh, from a commercial perspective, I wouldn't have the first clue as to where to go to even look for an investment like this. So Vina, tell me, what do you do to reach out to find the people that you want, the type of investors that you're looking for? How does AI help you market to find people like that? Like why have Bill and I never heard of something like this 
are we not the <laughs> uh, we're not apparently we don't open our mail or something but but I mean, how do you but I know that there has to be specific demographics that you guys are mining through and it's starting to learn that the characteristics of the customer you're trying to find and the people you're trying to get to invest how are those tools as bill described with zillow zillow reached out to me proactively and tried to buy my house so they must have known that I had a house in League City that I'd like to sell. And, and I got an email saying, hey, have you considered selling your home? And the answer was no, but now I might. How do you guys do the same thing where you, you know, you're trying to entice people that maybe require some education like me? I, I'd never heard this before. Mm-hmm. So when I see this at first, I'm thinking, wow, I, I, I don't know that I, I qualify. Is there some sort of threshold of money that I need to make to be able to qualify? And is this something that would interest me? How safe is it? So how do you reach out to people and find the people you're looking for and then also educate them on what this is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's tough because we are overseen by the SEC. So we do have to file with the SEC and tell them, hey, this is the security that we're going to be selling. Um, so it is a securities transaction. So there is a lot of oversight. You know, obviously we have our SEC attorneys, et cetera. The reason you probably have not heard about this is because depending on what exemption um, an investor or a sponsor like myself is utilizing, you may not be able to advertise publicly because that might be one of the limitations of the exemption. So for our exemption, we use what's called a 506C, which means that I can take out a billboard in Times Square if I want, but the caveat to it is, is I have to only accept accredited investors. And there's a very specific definition of what accredited investors are, which means that they, as a single person, they make more than $200,000 per year for the last two years with a reasonable expectation of maintaining that into the future. Or if you're married, that threshold goes up to 300000 between the spouses. Or you can have a net worth of over a million dollars, excluding your primary home. So there's, and there's a few others, but those are like 99% of your investors are going to fall into those two categories. And I will say, we are actually really terrible utilizing AI for outreach. And it's one of probably the biggest areas of opportunity that we have within our business. But I will say we have been very lucky and very privileged to have investors who are very loyal to us. They repeat invest with us. And so our business has actually grown from word of mouth. We don't, you know, go out and buy ad spots or dollars or anything like that. As we continue to grow and as we continue to do more and more deals, uh, when we're not looking at institutional funds and we're looking at individual investors like we have today, I do think AI would be a crucial piece of that and being able to mine through, again, large amounts of data. For us in our industry, the ability to get through so much data and aggregate it into an understandable and a targeted output is actually like the most beneficial part of AI for us. It's not even just being able to automate anything because there are systems and processes that can be automated already. That's not as interesting. It's the ability to disseminate data that's not uniform. That's the biggest thing for us. I see the same thing here. You guys have this population of unmined data that there's gold in there, right? And if we can continue to refine and mine, obviously doing it within the securities guidelines that you discussed, I can see this thing, you know, again, because there's people out there just like me that don't know that this is even an option. I thought, you know, when we first started having this conversation, you know, you were talking about this has been kind of a vehicle an investment for the mega rich. And so I immediately excluded myself from that because as you saw earlier, uh, you know, I I didn't even have pants. I just said shorts. I couldn't even afford pants. So the the mega rich (laughs) thing ruled me out. 
But then as you spoke a little bit more about the accredited investor, this is these are normal people. This is yep. these are people like us. We could do this. And so mm-hmm. that that is very encouraging to know that there's this entire opportunity to invest with a market that's going crazy right now. If people like us could participate in without spending millions of dollars. That that is really, really cool and, and encouraging. And that absolutely doesn't suck. So <laughs> let me ask you a question. When you first started, when you first came on, you said, hey, you know, I'm a an AI geek, I'm geeked about technology. I love this stuff. Tell me something that you see in the future that is going to be the thing that's so cool for you, something that's going to revolutionize this industry. You know, Bill and I have this conversation with people now. We've got an opportunity to do this in different domains and different industries. And everybody's got this a sense of, you know, some people it's, hey, you know, there's going to be flying cars and we're going to look like the Jetsons, right? Some people, yeah. it's, it's a much more pragmatic, practical goal. It's just, my job is going to be a little bit easier, right? I'm not going to have to do a lot of these manual tasks. And so it's all over the map in terms of what people dream and foresee for the future of AI. What do you what do you see when you think about tying it to this business you've started and what it could be and what it could do going forward in the future? That is such a good question. And I wish I had, like, I can think of a hundred different ways I would <laughs> love to implement AI into our business and I don't even know. I haven't even looked in to see if any of these products exist, but I think the biggest thing in our space is we have a lot of human interaction and to quantify human emotion, human behavior, the just the human psychology is very, very tough to do. And we play in this space, which requires human interaction, one from the investor side, right? So I want my investors to have like this luxurious experience, this white glove experience investing with me. But it also, I want it to be scalable and practical and I want it to be exciting for them. And I want them to wake up excited that they own part of a 300 unit building in Atlanta, Georgia, right? And so I think it's taking that, but then also being able to meld that into the technicalities of what we do, which is the numbers, right? It's the returns, it's the cold hard dollars. And then on the flip side of that, our residents in our communities, um, being able to understand their behavior, being able to understand what makes them go to a different community or be able to understand why one tenant with a similar profile is willing to pay $10 more a month than another tenant. And so being able to understand that human behavior there and then implement better practices so our communities become better homes because we, we provide housing, right? And so we want it to be a place where people feel safe and they feel happy and they feel comfortable. And so I think being able to take like all of those soft components and translate them into like more technical outputs is going to be very, very fruitful for us because then we can utilize that in a way that makes sense for both investors and our residents at the same time. It's funny because when I think of a traditional investment that people like us might make in a stock market or something like that, there's not that much to look at. It's not that much fun. I don't see myself. In fact, I don't, I don't go into my 401k every day and go, wow, this is really cool. I can monitor this. But a piece of real estate like this, where you're talking about something like you just described, there's an element of connection to it much more so when we think about how you get people jazzed about not just putting money in and going, hey, it's going to make money, but there's an experience they get to enjoy throughout this entire process. And AI could be the vehicle that allows you to deliver that experience to people as they invest with you. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. And I'll tell you a little secret. So some of our investors use their 401ks or IRAs to invest into these types of deals. So there's 
a whole world of these opportunities out there. And to your point, people just don't know where to look sometimes. I didn't know this existed. I'd love to be to be out there doing investing with the mega rich because it makes me feel like I'm going to be on you know lifestyles of the rich and famous or something. So right. I, I, you know, if I just buy just a little teeny piece of this building, I can tell people that I own a part of an office building. That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, and, the, and that actually, these types of investments exist outside of just multifamily. We're just one-trick ponies because we like to focus <laughs> on something and be really, really, really good at one thing. But you know, you can do it with office buildings, hotels, restaurants, like anything. So there's a whole world of opportunities out there for sure. And if it's something that you're interested in or anybody's interested in, they should first of all, you should talk to your like CPA, your lawyers, your financial advisors because. We are not licensed to give you any kind of professional advice, uh, but you should reach out to the people that are there to advise you and help you make decisions for your portfolio. And I'm, you know, I'm totally biased, but I think that real estate is a very important and crucial part of anybody's portfolio. And it does, it's not as volatile as a stock market is, and it allows you to own something tangible. So I think it's an important part of a portfolio. And Everybody should look into whether, you know, multifamily or some other real estate asset class is the right asset class. Uh, I can't wait to see where this is going to go. I'm going to monitor the industry more closely because it looks like there's opportunities for people like us as well, uh, both from a, a work perspective. Bill, I'm, I'm hearing some of this going, wow, this looks like a, a space <laughs> we need to be exploring from a software perspective, not only from an investment perspective. And so it's been absolutely eye opening. And so from 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 us to you, Vina, thank you for taking the time to join us. And to our listeners, thank you. And if you have questions, as Vina said, you, you now know where you, you know can contact where you her. Are. If you have questions about AI and its impact on this, she's obviously passionate about this big time. So you're going to want to reach out to her. We're going to sign off from Texas because that's where we all are today. Vina, thank you so much for joining us. Any closing words from, from you for, for everybody today? No, thank you so much for having me. I um, like I said, I'm totally passionate about AI. I think that it's absolutely the way of the future. I have this argument with my husband all the time because he doesn't think it's going to be as big as I do. And I keep telling him he's going to lose his job to AI. And he's like, what? No. I'm like, but you really probably are, honey. And so, uh, look, I'm like all on board with AI. And I think that, you know, in speaking with you guys today, it just reminds me that I actually need to put more time and energy in my company to refocus on this and increase our AI modules across our company. And so I appreciate you guys having me here. And I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot from following you guys and listening to your podcast as well. Well, thank you so much. We are absolutely betting against your husband. Tell him that. <laughs> our money's on I you, Vina. Too, kind of, right? <laughs> our money is on you, Vina, for sure. So Bill, any, any closing remarks? No, I just no. would add my thanks to John's and uh, appreciate being able to meet you in person. Uh, via this uh, broadcast. We'll be following you. Thank you. We are going to sign off and thank you guys for joining the Don't Suck It AI podcast. <laughs> We're out. 